let's talk about passion. I'm not talking about romantic or sexy passion. No, I mean that drive for the person, thing, or idea that takes up all of your mental energy. You're sitting in a meeting or in class and your mind is really wandering to whatever it is that you truly love. Some people call it obsession. For some, it's a sport or music or even a fandom. And for others, it's that ever so romantically named wanderlust. Today's story is a tale of passion, wanderlust, superstition, and finally tragedy. Today we visit the mysterious disappearance of the famed explorer of New York, Henry Hudson. Buckle up, travelers. Next stop, England, circa 1564. Henry Hudson was born sometime around 1564, somewhere in England. I say sometime and somewhere because we actually know very little about his beginnings, but his explorations would later lead him to be the namesake of such famous North American landmarks as the Hudson Bay, the Hudson Straits, the Hudson River. I could keep going, but for now, suffice it to say that Henry Hudson is destined to leave a mark on this world. So while we don't know the details of Henry Hudson's birth, we do know that he was sponsored by the English Muscovy Company, and there is some reason to believe that he had a familial connection to this company. Rumor has it that one Harry Hudson was one of the original founders of the Muscovy Company, and so it was said that Hudson was derived from that name and that he was actually the grandson of this founder. Now, there is no documentary support for this claim, and so it's very much a rumor of history. But it is documented that the Muscovy Company sponsored him, which means they provided financial support and made sure that he was generally cared for during childhood. The fates of Henry's parents are unknown. Despite this, his first son was born in 1591 to himself and his bride Catherine, and he was called John. I was unable to find many details about Catherine. I couldn't find any records of their courtship or when they were married. The earliest note in regards to her is the birth of John. I won't go into what I think that says about so many things, but anyway... John would go on to accompany Henry on many of his ocean adventures. Catherine and Henry would have two additional children after John, Oliver, and Robert. So if you don't know about Henry Hudson, now is a good time for me to give you the rundown. Henry Hudson was an explorer who spent much of his exploits seeking the Northwest Passage. The Northwest Passage was a proposed waterway that could connect Europe to Asia across the top of the Americas. So this would cut out a lot of time from the existing journeys that were taking place from Europe to Asia. 
I read one account that said that his interest in finding the Northwest Passage was likely piqued when he overheard members of the English Muscovy Company as a child discussing the potential for this passage. I'll pause here to say that I couldn't find much on what it was that the English Muscovy Company actually did. I can say that they sponsored him as a child, so he seems to have been related to this company in some way, and they will go on to fund his first two explorers exploratory missions to the North Americas. So it looks like they were in the business of exploration and funding these trips in some way. One source that I read reported that Hudson reasoned that if any ice near the Arctic Pole melted in summer, a ship may be able to cross the created waterway, as I mentioned, cutting a lot of time out of that trip. Hudson made such a name for himself in the field of exploration that he is the namesake of many landmarks in Northeast North America. However, what became of him is what I found to be the most interesting. We don't have a lot of details on Henry's early sea voyages, but they must have happened because in 1607, we reached the first documented significant voyage that was captained by Henry Hudson. And you don't just get made a sea captain. So the purpose of this trip was to seek the Northwest Passage, and it was funded by the English Muscovy Company. His oldest son, John, who was 16 at the time, accompanied him on this trip. And from what I read, John would accompany him on every trip. Now, I'm not sure what his role on the ship was, but I assume he contributed to the running of the vessel in some way. The purpose of this inaugural trip as captain was listed as, and I quote, for to discover a passage by the North Pole to Japan and China. So here we have the very first voyage that Henry Hudson gets to be in charge of, and already he's seeking this Northwest Passage. This is going to be a driving force for him. Hudson conducts two voyages for the Muscovy Company, and in doing so for the country of England, to seek the Northwest Passage, but he isn't successful on either of those trips. One source even hinted at a possible mutiny during his last trip from Muscovy in 1608, but I only saw this in a single source, and I couldn't find very many details about it. While we know Hudson was an excellent navigator, he was the first European to reach the Arctic Circle, it does seem that there tended to be some tension around his leadership style. And with this, we get to the first occurrence that kind of hints at what's to come. So after Henry Hudson returns from two voyages, unable to find this Northwest Passage, Muscovy kind of decides to move their attention elsewhere. They're like, okay, well, we're going to focus our energies on some other exploratory things. They kind of put Northwest Passage on hold, which of course is not what Henry Hudson wants. I did read some things that said that Hudson perhaps had trouble finding a position as a captain after this proposed potential near mutiny in the 1608 voyage. So what ends up happening? Well, he's still very much driven to find this Northwest Passage, and he's going to do it any way he can. So he finds another group 
to sponsor his voyages. And in doing so, he's going to ruffle quite a few feathers, but we'll get to that. So in 1609, Hudson was approached by the Dutch East India Company to search for a Northeast Passage. He specifically promised in this agreement to return to Holland if this didn't go to plan, and it doesn't. Storm systems seemed to be the biggest reason why he wasn't able to continue the exploration of the Northeast, but the details here were a little foggy. At any rate, rather than turning back to Holland as he had promised, he somehow convinces his crew that they should head for the Americas and look for the Northwest Passage. I'm not sure how he pulled this off, but somehow he does because they were supposed to be searching the northeast, which means what they were supposed to do is go north around Russia and try to find a way through the Arctic that way. But instead, when he can't do this, he somehow convinces his crew, which is made up of half British and half Dutch sailors, he manages to convince the entire crew, or at least the majority, that this is what they're going to do. I mean, maybe not the majority, maybe just the most powerful. Who knows? I mean, only the people on the ship really know. So he convinces them to seek the Northwest Passage. And I can just imagine it. I mean, he's out here. He's got the boat. Rumor has it he had trouble getting a captainship after that last voyage in England. And here he is with the resources at his disposal to try one more time. And so he's going to take it. He convinces them and they head west. Apparently, though, the crew had some good reasons for why some of them report to have been weary of this idea. It's reported that the ship was started to run low on supplies, and it's in an attempt to refill those supplies that Henry makes a decision. As they're traveling up and down the coast of the Northeast Americas, like Maine, Canada area, Hudson directed his men toward a spring in Maine to gather water. In doing so, he instructed his men to trample through, and that's a quote, trample through a Lenape burial ground on their way to what is now known as Henry Hudson Springs. I could really pause here to get into the renaming of things that already had names when colonists got here. But we'll leave it as now known as Henry Hudson Springs. It's reported that the crew were very unhappy about this idea. You know what they say about sailors and superstitions. So they were not pleased about taking water from the spring. And they were even less pleased with Hudson's hurrying them to get there. So there's a trail that basically goes from the coast up to the spring. And it's still there. So you can see it. So there was a clearly marked trail that they could have just followed. So it's interesting to me that the source says that they trampled through the burial ground instead of respectfully following the path. What was that? I mean, was Hudson rushing them? That seems to be kind of the impression that I'm getting. Like, let's get up here and do this. Just push through. And obviously being super disrespectful in doing so. And he must have known how he was being disrespectful if his sailors were verbally saying we probably shouldn't be doing this so either way after this Hudson's luck takes a turn for the worse and the crew would later blame their captain for having them disrespect the land of the dead I thought this was an interesting foreshadowing of things to come
Okay, so remember how I said he was supposed to go straight back to Holland if exploring the northeast coast didn't work out? Well, at this point, he's had his ship, the Half Moon, and his crew out for longer than anticipated. They've gone all the way across the ocean to look for the Northwest Passage instead, and they haven't been able to find it. So finally, they decide to head back towards Europe. However, and this is a big question mark that historians are still arguing about, instead of going straight to Holland, where his family is, he stops in England first. Now, some say that he thought he would be able to get supplies and go on about his way, but this would not be the case because King James I, who was in power at the time, was none too pleased with the idea that Hudson had sailed for another country's flag. And so the king released the Dutch sailors, but the English sailors and Henry Hudson himself were placed on indefinite house arrest. Now, from what I heard, the sailors were released very quickly. Like, I'm not even sure they were held for more than a day. But Hudson was different. King James I was definitely a little upset that Hudson had been sailing for another country. Because when he was sailing for the English Muscovy Company, he was sailing for England. And he himself was English. So some feathers were definitely ruffled. And it's important to recall at this point that Hudson already had a reputation as being a worthy sea traveler. He was already known as being an excellent navigator of his time. So it was kind of embarrassing for him to be sailing for another country, at least in King James I's opinion. It was because Henry Hudson had started to gain such popularity and because he was so well known by experienced sailors and shoremen that he would eventually get another shot to find the Northwest Passage. And it didn't hurt that the idea that the Northwest Passage must exist was really gaining in popularity overall. People were starting to be more and more certain based on what they knew at the time about ice and the Arctic Circle that this passage must open up at some point throughout the year, even if it's just a temporary thing in like June through August. It's probably there. And so it was with some pressure from the public that King James finally allows Hudson to lead one last voyage seeking the Northwest Passage. Only this attempt would be his last. Unlike the previous journey, the purpose of this trip was to investigate a rumor Hudson had heard about a body of water emptying into the Atlantic. He believed it could be the connection to the Pacific he had been searching for. So this rumor said that it looked like um, a river was flowing into the ocean. Now this is important because this rumor detailed that this river was wide enough to fit a ship and that it was wide and deep enough to perhaps be the channel between two major oceans. And so Hudson thought that this could be more than just a rumor. He believed it could be the connection to the Pacific he had been searching for. So he sails to the northeast coast on a new ship called the Discovery. Hudson had gotten sponsors to raise money for this trip, but he was also sponsored by England as a country. 
So when they first arrive at the northeast coast, there's some excitement when they think they've found this passage that they've heard rumors of. But in reality, this just turns out to be Hudson Bay. So they spend some time, you know, thinking that maybe they've found it, and then they realize that this isn't really it. Um, but it is one of Hudson's big namesakes, so that's eventful. After this, they really struggled, and one source says that Hudson directs his crew to sail aimlessly up and down the coast. He continued this somewhat random search until November of 1610. This is when the Discovery becomes trapped in ice in James Bay. This is not great. I mean, as you can imagine, there's some disappointment that they have not found this Northwest Passage yet. And there's also, I have to imagine, this sense of urgency or determination from Henry Hudson because this is his fourth time looking for this thing and he really he really wants to be the one to find it. He's heard these rumors, he knows other people are looking and you know, he's really desperate to find it. And so we land in November of 1610 and we're still here and they get trapped in ice. The decision is made to winter off ship and Hudson as captain is the clear leader of the group. So he's in charge of managing supplies. It doesn't take long for tensions to grow. From what we know about this trip, and I'll share with you soon how we know what we know. From what we do know about the trip, it seems like some tensions were already growing at this point. Some people thought that they should have turned back to Europe before we got this far. You know, they were of the opinion that we checked out the rumor. It wasn't here. We should have turned around instead of continuing. So there was some difference of opinion here. So by the time we're wintering off ship on the ice, it is cold, like really, really cold. Hudson is in charge of everything. There's already a little bit of mistrust growing. At least that's what was reported and we'll go with that side of the story for now. Tensions continue to grow when there seemed to be some cases of favoritism. It was suspected that he hoarded supplies for himself, his son, and others that were close to him. One example of this was the story of Hudson giving a crew member by the name of Henry Green a gray gown. Some sources said blanket, but most said gown, only to later change his mind. Take it from that crew member and give it to another member that was more in his inner circle. Obviously, this raises some eyebrows. Another action that raises eyebrows during the winter of 1610 is his decision to demote Robert Jewett. Now, this is really important because Robert Jewett had been on nearly every voyage Henry Hudson had ever captained. The only one I'm not sure about is his very first voyage in 1607, but I know that he was a part of the crew in 1608 for the Muscovy Company, and he was part of the English half of the crew on the Half Moon voyage to find the Northeast Passage for the Dutch East India Company. This was his third voyage with Henry Hudson. So the decision to demote Robert Jewett seems big because the opinion of the day was that Robert Jewett and Henry Hudson were very close. And this is the first hint that maybe the source that is giving us this side of the story could be a little biased. I'm not sure. We'll get to that at the end. But according to what we know, what was told, 
Robert Jewett was demoted. And I couldn't find any good reason for why this would have been done. It's important to note here that we know that Robert Jewett traveled with Henry Hudson so much because Hudson's own journals of his time as being ship captain didn't do well at surviving history. We have some pages, but we don't have any, I don't think, complete works. If we do, it's very, very rare. But what we do have are Robert Jewett's journals. Robert Jewett's journals survive history. And so we know more about Henry Hudson's 1608 and 1609 voyages because of this. So much of what we know came from Robert Jewett himself. So it's very, very interesting that in the winter of 1610 on board the Discovery, he's demoted by Henry Hudson as tensions are said to have grown. Finally, the winter is over and spring arrives. When the ice starts to thaw, Hudson, unsurprisingly really, wants to keep trying. He thinks they have enough supplies to give it one more go before heading back in. And let me tell you, it's not met with enthusiasm. His crew is like, dude, we've been out here. We've been chilling on the ice, literally, and we're ready to go home. And this leads to a mutiny. It's said that the mutiny was led by Robert Jewett and Henry Green. Robert Jewett being the crew member who was demoted and Henry Green being the crew member whose blanket or gown was revoked. Of course, we only have this version of the story. I also read in another source, and this was not a very reputable source, that there was some superstition from crew members who had heard what Henry Hudson had done to the Lenape burial ground, i.e. been super disrespectful and had his men trample all through it. And those people were worried that perhaps it was some sort of curse on Henry Hudson that was causing all of this misfortune for the ship to get trapped in the ice in the first place and for them to have even had to do all of this. Whatever the reason, on June 22nd of 1611, Henry Hudson is abandoned in a small ship called a shallop. Um, It holds about 20 men and has like one mast and a sail. He's abandoned in this ship with his son, John, who had accompanied him on every voyage. And seven members of the crew who were either loyal to Henry Hudson or were presumed too sick to make the voyage back to England alive. It was reported that they were left with a small assortment of provisions, namely clothing, powder and shot, some pikes an iron pot, some food, and other miscellaneous items. Rumor has it that Hudson and his team followed the discovery in the shallop for as long as possible until eventually the mutineers were annoyed at this chase, opened another sail, and outpaced them. I can't imagine what this must have felt like when this ship does eventually outpace you. You're alone somewhere around the northeast coast of Canada, and now you're left with just this tiny boat. It's not ocean-worthy. It's not going to make the return trip to England, that's for sure. You're here with seven other crew members, some of which are here because they were loyal to you, and for me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, worst of all, your child is here. I cannot imagine 
the feelings running through your head when you are running through the actions that got you here and now you're responsible for your child being left here. It's very interesting to me that they didn't take him, but it's said that he was around 16 for his first voyage. So by this time, he must have been around 19, maybe 20, which is interesting because a lot of sources said that um, Henry Hudson was abandoned with his teenage son. But I don't really see, I mean, 1607 to 1610, that's three years if he was 16. I guess he was around 19, which would still be a teenager. So I guess I get it. But I... I just can't imagine the feelings running through your head as that ship disappears and you're here with your child. I mean, the double, it's one thing for yourself to be in danger, but then for your child to be in danger, even if you're not a parent, I'm sure you can imagine being responsible for your child who's now been abandoned near the Arctic Circle with you in really poor circumstances cannot be the best. And um, sadly... Henry Hudson, his teenage son, and his crew of seven would never be seen again. So let's talk theories and outcomes. The discovery arrived in Ireland with eight of the 13 mutineers left alive. They were arrested for mutiny, but were all eventually released. Some say it was due to the knowledge they now possessed of a then unexplored land. Remember, while they didn't reach the Northwest Passage, they did discover Hudson Bay. Survivors included the ship's navigator, Abacuc Prickett. Now, this name is important because remember, everything that we've heard so far about this journey has been from survivors, right? Well, this particular survivor kept a journal during the journey, and his account has been used to reconstruct most of the events that you've heard here. However, there are some who question Prickett's details of the journey. In particular, contemporaries of the time claim that Hudson had been close with both Robert Jewett and Henry Green, and that a mutiny would have been unlikely despite extreme conditions, given the bonds of friendship these two are said, or the, I'm sorry, these three are said to have had. In the end, it's the survivors who get to write history, and Henry Hudson was never heard from again to make his side of the story heard. Prickett himself was tried for murder, not mutiny, but was acquitted when the court claimed that setting knowledgeable sailors adrift near an inhabited shore was not murder. Interesting. That kind of explains why they decided to try him for murder instead of mutiny. Because the rumor is that these sailors now had the knowledge of these unexplored areas, no one was really interested in putting them in prison. And so it seems like he was tried for murder rather than mutiny just because they were going to be able to make this claim right? And the shores were said to be inhabited. I mean, there were natives in the area. I can't say if those groups of Native Americans were friendly with colonists or not. Throughout the history of Hudson's journals, he had various encounters with groups of Native Americans. It's said that when he was exploring Hudson River, he had a particularly happy, um, friendly encounter with a group of Native Americans, and they all ate meals together 
together more than once. Like as he sailed up the river, they had meals together. And then when they came down the river, they had meals together. So those were friendly interactions. But then we know he had no respect for the burial grounds when he was sailing the half moon. There's also claims that another group of Native Americans had shot arrows at his crew as they sailed near their land, and one of his crew members was lost that way. So yes, the area was inhabited, but we don't know if he was near Native Americans who were friendly towards colonists or unfriendly towards colonists. There were reports around 1631 or 1632 of an abandoned shelter being found near the area Hudson was reportedly set adrift. The rumor was that this shelter had been used by Hudson and his group, but there was no way to confirm this. The mutiny that cost Henry Hudson his own life and that of his son was led by Robert Jewett and Henry Green. Neither of these men would survive the return trip to England. So another reason that we take so much from Abacook Prickett's account is because neither of the mutineers survived the trip. Now this is interesting because it's easy to say two dead guys did it, right? Dead men tell no tell. No, hold on. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> so who's really to say because Robert Jewett and Henry Green, they don't make it. Some say that the men were killed in a fight with Eskimos. That was from Encyclopedia Britannica. But another source claimed that Jewett died of starvation only two days before the ship arrived in Ireland, which, you know, that's interesting. I would be really curious to know, in the end, who died first? Was it Green and Jewett or Hudson? Because Hudson was a very capable navigator. They found this shelter in the 1630s, and this happened in 1611. Who's to say he didn't survive for quite some time? We're not sure. We do get a little hint, though. In 1959, workers who are clearing an area for a new road find a stone near the Ottawa River in Canada. And carved into this stone are the words HH Captive 1612. Now, 1612 is approximately one year after Henry Hudson was set adrift. The stone has never been tested by archaeologists to confirm that it was indeed carved in 1612, but if this is true, it could be a hint that perhaps Henry Hudson and his group were captured by an unfriendly tribe of Native Americans and became their captives. Who's to say if that shelter that was found in the 1630s would have been built in that year between landing on shore and becoming a captive? Or if it was built sometime after, did Hudson and his group escape? Did Hudson and anyone else escape? These are the great questions about the story that made me so interested. And I'm going to make sure I put up some of the art on the YouTube channel because the art that has been done depicting Hudson and his group, including his son, being left behind by the discovery is so striking to me. It's just such a story of desolation. Now, when you add to it 
how much sea knowledge and survival knowledge Henry Hudson had. Maybe it's not quite as desolate, but I mean, they were just trapped in the ice for the entire winter. So even if you're okay right now, how good are you at surviving winters up here? It's just a very mysterious outcome for such a well-known individual. I mean, so many things are named after this guy. We've heard this name so many times, but how many of us knew that he was left abandoned with his child while his ship sailed away? It's just so interesting to me. So I'll close out our story with a few fun facts for you. One contemporary and some sources said friend of Henry Hudson was the famous John Smith. And during Hudson's voyages seeking the Northwest Passage, he was positioned at Jamestown, Virginia. In total, Henry Hudson captained three ships. The first was the Hopewell for the English Muscovy Company, then the Half Moon for the Dutch East India Company, and finally the Discovery for England and multiple financial sponsors. Five years after being sailed by Henry Hudson, the Half Moon ran aground and sank off the coast of Mauritius in the Indian Ocean. I couldn't find final outcomes for the Discovery or the Hopewell. There's also a replica. That's what I'm trying to think of. There's also a replica of the Half Moon that I believe is still in existence that was built and launched around 1909. I have some pictures on the YouTube if you're watching, and if not, be sure to check it out. Four big namesakes that I can immediately tell you of Henry Hudson's are the Hudson Bridge, the Hudson Bay, the Hudson River, and the Hudson Strait. But he also has many other smaller namesakes, such as the spring that we mentioned earlier that is now called Henry Hudson Springs, and uh, counties in New York as well, to name a few. In one of his journals, Henry Hudson described a first-hand encounter with the mythical mermaid. He said that the creature was swimming along the side of the ship. I wish I could give you more details on this, but once again, not much of his journals survived history. So this was just one neat tidbit that we were able to pick out. In total, Hudson made four attempts at finding a passage to Asia. His own journals have been lost to time, as I mentioned, so much of what we know about his voyages come from the journal of a sailor who had accompanied him on three out of four of his journeys. I said it before, but that sailor's name was Robert Jewett, one of the two accused mutineers. And finally, the Northwest Passage was eventually discovered in 1906 by Raoul Amundsen, some 300 years after Henry's final fatal attempt at finding it. He wasn't wrong. It was there, just waiting to be found. And I have one final fun fact that I found for you just as I was finishing up my notes for this episode. I think this one's really cute. There is a fairy tale out there that says that Henry Hudson and his crew party with the gnomes in the Catskill Mountains of New York every 20 years. I can't 
recall how he is said to have come across these gnomes. I believe they just said that Henry Hudson met them during his explorations of the area. And now the ghosts of he and his crew members dance and party with the gnomes in Catskill Mountain every 20 years. If you've heard this story or you know anything about this, Please let us know because I'm so intrigued by this tale, but I could not find any further details on it. Today's stop took a peek into the life of a man whose namesakes many Americans have grown up hearing. I found this story interesting because Henry Hudson continued to search for this one goal his entire life, and even though he didn't find it, it was there. He wasn't wrong, and I think that that's a story worth telling. You've been listening to Travels by Carriage with Z. Algar. I'm so, so, so grateful for everyone who's listened to the entire episode, and I really, really appreciate all of your comments and feedback on the last episode. If you have ideas for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me on social media. You can find me at Travels by Carriage. Sometimes my handle is TBC Travels by Carriage, but they are all listed on my YouTube channel. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Travels by Carriage. Hope you enjoyed the trip. Do you like uh, scary stuff? Yeah. Mm-mm-mm.